This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 175, about Iron Fist, season 2, episode 1, Fury of the Iron Fist. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. This is episode 175 of Defenders TV Podcast, and we're here talking about Iron Fist Season 2. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi, I am one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out the group, I am the immortal Iron Foot, Chris. <laughs> Coming to you live from his own echo chamber, Chris Jones. Welcome back, Chris. Yes. So for our fellow Defenders who are just joining us, and for our fellow Defenders who are have been listening to us for 170 four episodes i am now recording from a brand new podcast studio room unfortunately the podcast studio room is bare so for the (laughs) please bear with us for a small amount of time as my echoey echo chamber will slowly muffle to a nice audible nothing yes fellow defenders uh, chris has a lovely warm and rich tone to his voice usually <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely great to be back with season two of iron fist if you're joining us fellow defenders for the first time because some people actually skipped season one of iron fist and are being told that this one's going to be the season to bring them on board so they're going to start at the first episode of season two so we will guide your hand fellow defenders throughout this season of iron fist we're going to be recording our episode by episode reviews at uh, the first six episodes we're going to be recording before the release of the show and we're going to be adding in your feedback at the end of those episodes so if you want to send us any feedback just email us at feedback at defenders tv podcast.com and to keep subscribed to the podcast so you can get the episodes as they're released all you need to do is just go to our website at defenders tv podcast.com where you can pick up our podcast on any good or evil podcast catcher like google podcasts or apple podcasts Yes. I mean, you can't actually keep him off uh, the Marvel Netflix sphere at the moment, Danny Rand. He's been in The Defenders. He's been in Luke Cage Season 2. What was it? Episode 10. Mm-hmm. Now he's on to Season 2 of his own series. Uh, and it really isn't that long ago since Season 1 in the scheme of these Marvel Netflix shows. Yeah, so, he- like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Just can't get rid of him, which is a great thing. Absolutely. He didn't get his two-year break like most of the other shows got, which is really good. Yeah. He is very welcome back onto the TV waves, internet waves, and the podcast waves. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes, he is. But I wanted to talk about one quick thing. So first... Derek, as per usual, would you give us the episode details? There's a special new someone joining us for season two of Iron Fist that I can't wait to talk about because this gentleman has been amazing. So could you give us the episode details of the written and directed by? Absolutely. This episode was written by M. Raven Metzner, the brand new showrunner for season two of Iron Fist. Yes, this gentleman has been fantastic. He's all over Twitter, single-handedly with an Iron Fist of his own, driving the hype for season two. Mm -hmm. And I cannot say he is the Chio Croker for Iron Fist now. This man is a guiding hand. He apparently, and from what we've seen, fully understands the property. He understands the characters. He knows the ballpark he's playing in. But he also knows the fans. Mm -hmm. So he's been putting out tidbits all along uh, on the way up to the launch this September 7th. And I can't wait to see him continue to drop tidbits over the remaining weeks as people slowly kind of consume season two. Because you just know, based on what he's put out so far, I'm like, oh, he has an army of tweets in his back pockets uh-huh. with all nice Easter eggs, tidbits of information behind the scenes. Yeah, no, I, I can't wait to see more from this gentleman. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, he does come from a little bit of a history with Marvel. Uh, back in the day, long time ago now, he did write the original Elektra movie, the spin-off from the original Daredevil movie with Ben Affleck. Uh, in the role of Daredevil. So um, while he was a writer at that time, it was very early on in his career. We've seen a few episodes of Iron Fist, and we know that the show is very different from season one. We're not going to talk about any of the future episodes. We'll talk about those as we go through each of our episodes. But I think he's doing a really good job. But you can tell the reason why he got the gig on Elektra was because he did have the knowledge of the comic books Electra. He was trying to do something different, but a movie isn't just the writer. Yes, I have a soft spot in my heart for that movie. 
Is it somewhere around the bags of sand? As, as, <laughs> um, as soft as those? Yes. Okay. Um, I must say, I quite enjoy going back to Electra. Excellent. Um, Excellent. So great to have him on board. Really uh, cannot wait to see what he brings to season two. But certainly from this first episode, I'm really uh, enjoying what he's bringing. Absolutely. Yeah, really excited to have a brand new showrunner on season two of Iron Fist. Uh, this episode was directed by David Dobson, another newcomer to the world of Iron Fist and the world of Marvel and Netflix. Uh, lots of projects in the pipeline coming up, including a follow up to his comedy movie Wedding Crashers. Interestingly, David Dobson has also worked in the area of martial arts, kind of comedy martial arts with Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson uh, on Shanghai Nights. I want to talk about that one a little bit later as we get into the episode. Um, but he has also worked with Robert Downey Jr., the kingpin of Marvel himself, on his movie The Judge. So he's had some experience within the Marvel framework, I suppose, at least. This is a great director to have an opening episode on. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, like you, want to talk about the Shanghai Nights piece. So let's get into that later on, I think. I think we'll be talking about it. And one final new bit for this season of Iron Fist. Each episode of Iron Fist Season 2 is named after a title of a comic book from the Iron Fist. This episode, Fury of the Iron Fist, many fans of Iron Fist will know this. This is the title of Marvel Premiere Volume 1, Number 15, which gave us the first appearance of Iron Fist. So nice that they're already referencing that. It was quite difficult to make sense in Season 1 of the references they were taking because they were all from martial arts moves or moves that didn't really exist in the real world. So quite difficult to get what they were and what they were referencing last season. This season, much easier. We'll be talking about them each episode, though. But speaking of which, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis of Iron Fist Season 2, Episode 1, Fury of the Iron Fist? Sure. With the destruction of Kunlun, Danny Rand and Colleen Wing returned to New York, where, with the aid of the Defenders, they confronted and beat the Hand. With the loss of Matt Murdock still fresh in their minds, and taking his advice, Danny and Colleen relocate to her dojo in Chinatown as their new home. Danny has left the running of Rand Enterprises to his partner, Ward Meacham, and instead he lives and breathes on the streets in Chinatown as a worker for Royal Al Moving, where he meets an artist and photographer by the name of Mary. At night, Danny works alone to keep the streets of his new home safe as a turf war rages between two triad gangs, the Golden Tigers and the Hatchets, as they battle for control of the void left behind after the demise of the Hand. At Colleen's new job in a Chinatown community centre, she receives an unexpected package from her childhood that is embossed with her family coat of arms and begins to investigate how it ended up back in her possession. Meanwhile, Davos... Danny's brother and former best friend from Kunlun plots with an angry Joy Meacham on a secret plan that could disrupt all that Danny has built. So every major character from season one is pretty much included in here. Everyone that was alive at the end of the season, anyway. We just need Zombie Meacham. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the zombie head of Harold Meacham <laughs> returning. Uh, maybe later on in the season. We never know. Fellow Defenders, previously we have talked about our top five in terms of bullet points in The Punisher, incantations in Doctor Strange, bulletproof points for Luke Cage. But for Iron Fist, we're going to change it up. We're going to be talking about our top five based on the tournament scoring system for martial arts. We're going to be using top five points for this system. (laughs) And makes sense. Just so we can refer to it a little bit, if we do have a sixth point, we can call that the golden point because that's the the score winning point in Taekwondo. Uh, That's that's how they use it. So it'll be top five points and there may be a golden point if we get six points. Does that work? Yeah, it does. But additionally, this could be the glowing golden point of Iron Fist. There you go. It does glow gold or yellow, but close enough. That might work. That might work. John, do you want to take us away with our point number one? We're in Chinatown. Yes, we are in Chinatown. So this is a new location for Iron Fist. Him and Colleen have shacked up at Colleen's old dojo. No longer filled with mattresses and sharp pointy stuff, but instead a new kitchen and open plan living for for the two lovebirds. I think this is really nice seeing um, these two together having almost an ordinary kind of relationship Mm -hmm. i think it's uh really fresh actually for the superhero marvel netflix shows and it feels kind of down to earth you know it's making tea i like the fact that uh, danny rand's office 
where he, you know, has all the video surveillance is shoved in one corner. It really looks like a lived in space, but yet they've moved to Chinatown. You know, effectively, Danny had moved back in season one to New York. He was kind of crashing in different places. Colleen's dojo was a community dojo for sort of rough kids in the neighborhood, trying to pull them out, but ultimately feeding them into the sort of mincer that was the hand, um, ultimately. Uh, And so here now, the Chikara dojo in Chinatown is Danny and Colleen's home. I do know what I really like about that. It's just the fact that, remember back in season one, they had their first date in there and there was a table and chairs that Danny had brought in from the restaurant that he paid to deliver food to there. That's where their table and chairs are. It really does look like overnight or over a weekend, they made this decision to turn the dojo into their home and basically just got a bit of furniture and shoved it in there and went, ah, yeah, that's our home, sort of. (laughs) But you're right, Danny does have a little back cave of his own in the room where he's got all the cameras monitoring the city and he's got his computer all set up or multiple monitors and multiple computers set up. Very cool. Chris, what do you think of of the new location in Chinatown? I really enjoyed this. I I think we're probably going to need to come up with a a new name for instead of back cave. I think that may be taken. Potentially like the iron cave or the fist cave. But I don't know. Top of my head, probably the first one. Yeah. But essentially, I'm I'm loving the reference and how they're using the space in terms of as we see straight away when Danny goes to his uh, the Iron Cave, he's oh you're going to check up on media again, and they make a joke about SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh-huh. There's a humor, a banter between the two of these characters, which actually ingrains it in. These are, they're a couple. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's a scene later on in the, the, the episode where Danny comes in and he's straight, straight away without even looking at Colleen. He starts talking to her and giving her an update and just kind of, kind of talking to nothing without knowing she's in the corner looking at. She's on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very lived in space. It's a very lived in relationship. Yeah. I think that's kind of what I'm enjoying in terms of overall just being in chinatown now Mm -hmm. this is really cool it basically to a point in season one danny's space was the financial district the the rand enterprise area absolutely generic generic business offices basically exactly now we're going to get an actual lived in community we'll get chinatown from new york Mm -hmm. straight away actually from my time spent in New York, I noticed at the end when he goes down to the subway, that's a real subway entrance, a real subway street. As he went down, I saw the name of the the, the, the sta- station. I went, I know that spot. Actually, it's like it's it's one of these kind of like okay, they're actually going to make it a more lived in area versus generic Rand Enterprise office building one yeah. or the unknown warehouse where it was close to the docks, but actually there was no docks ever really there in New York. Mm-hmm. That we had absolutely like uh, bringing it into Chinatown it, it's put him so much closer to the street rather than this idea that maybe he's parachuting into the an area to to help it out you mm-hmm. know it, it really makes him part of that area uh, you know very much like Luke Cage and it makes what he does very much more believable you know there's the references in season one to Kunlun about protecting Kunlun because that was his home and he talked about New York being his home but ultimately he's got this district now and I think it really connects him to that protector uh, status that he has and and we see Danny protecting um, the, the streets of Chinatown here you know with with our first fight sequence um, as, as he's taking on the golden tigers or hijacking um, one of the hatchet money trucks that are taking some kind of, you know, cleaned laundered bills um, back to back to base. Mm-hmm. And again, we get to see a really good uh, use of the iron fist here uh, where he takes out the truck engine to, to bring it to a halt. So cool. uh, and I love the fact that, you know, on comes the Iron Fist, and um, there's no kind of impotency about his fist this time. Uh, he really does seem to turn it on uh, very much uh, as he wants to in order to to bring about um, the the 
in order to stop this truck. And certainly then we see him again uh, hitting, creating that shockwave as well. So a really nice bit of action here uh, right at um, the start of season two, you know? Oh, yeah. This this opening credit sequence or this opening sequence going into the opening credits really is a statement of intent, isn't it? It's, the, it's that moment where they're showing off the powers of the Iron Fist like you would in a video game. You're, you're kind of going, look how powerful he is. He can switch this on and off when he needs to, whenever he wants to. He doesn't have to use it all the time. And... Here's that classic moment where he's going to use the shockwave to knock all of his enemies on their ass straight out, straight out the gate. Great, great moment. Yeah, I really enjoyed that opening scene. Um, I, I actually sat down with my partner to watch this. She wasn't a fan of the first one. and That's fine. We can all have our differences of opinions. Mm-hmm. But I kind of showed her this opening scene and I was like, just look at this. It's not just another superhero show. This is a martial arts show now. Mm-hmm. In, 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 not that it wasn't before, but they kind of they're setting the intent, going, "No, this is a one-man army who can take out a truck with his glowing fist and then turn that off, and still, to a degree, be, beat the hell out of what was it, six to eight men, uh, without having to pulverize them to dust or shoot laser beams from his eyes or anything like that. He's a martial arts master, and what that's what we got." Yeah, it was it was really good seeing that, and I think the the yellow scarf around the mouth was a really nice touch with oh, the yeah. green hoodie, yeah. uh, you know, almost like an inverted mask. Um, so uh, that was fantastic, uh, just to have that little touch to his outfit whilst he's on the streets, you know, in, in a sense hiding himself uh, in the same way that Daredevil uh, did as well, and um, certainly from season one with his black outfit mm-hmm. uh, and certainly carrying on from defenders where we see him lighting up his, his iron fist at the top of a building, you know, after Matt Murdock had kind of given him a call to arms to protect his city. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he didn't come out of um, Midland circle building uh, alive from the defenders. And I think, you know that that was really nice to see here absolutely um, it's always good to see a take in the costume from stephanie Mislinski, Bil- who's done all of the costumes for all of these shows she really has a good statement of intent when she does a costume for these characters it does look like something practical something new and something that danny would wear and it's in the iron fist colors as well we get that proper green the proper yellow of the iron fist colors so definitely a good statement and definitely a good design another really important thing is you know he is there alone there is no colleen and i think Coming on to our point number two, you know, Colleen has retired her katana. And I think, you know, in what we've said about the the Chinatown and the dojo and in being connected both to Colleen uh, with moving into the dojo as their home and on Chinatown, you know, there are still these differences that are, I think, at least highlighted or nodded to in, in this episode which is really nice to see like i do get the impression um it's not necessarily plain sailing with them but colleen has decided to retire her katana and she is working at a community center uh, in chinatown helping out people with accounts tax returns uh clothing you know access to medical care all that kind of stuff so that's a really um nice contrast between these two even though they've come together so uh, it really adds a, a dynamic i think uh, which is really interesting mm-hmm. yeah no i really enjoyed i don't know the changing character in colleen yeah we saw her recently in luke cage and she was very much the same colleen but here something has i get the sense something has happened or she's progressed a to a point since luke cage season two to here She's become a lot less hot-headed. Um, we later on see her at a scene where she's there's uh, three of the, the tigers mm-hmm. are potentially roughing up um, someone on the street. And rather than what we would usually have seen with Colleen, where she would have gone in, she first tries to call the police. I'll use that as the deterrent. Yeah. We do see her later on basically whoop their asses which is fantastic mm-hmm. that scene i'm, I'm assuming we'll get to it Absolutely. later I, I like this scene seeing her trying to change her life after what she potentially considers doing a lot of wrong in the world this is allowing her to do a lot of right in the world yeah potentially working with these people yeah absolutely i do actually think it's, it's quite a good continuation of her character in uh luke cage because remember she was only in that one episode and she was there to help out misty knight and it was in the shadow of what happened in Midland Circle. And what we hear here is that's what's caused this slight change in her attitude is what happened in Midland Circle. We hear Colleen say to 
to Danny when he says, well, you saved everybody, you saved the world. And her go, well, that's the glass half full version of the story. That's not my version of the story. So she's kind of punishing herself. With with the help of Danny, she's coming around a bit. She's realizing that there are other ways than picking up the katana and taking somebody out. She's trying to make this decision to step back from the fight, but still being quite supportive of Danny. And as we saw in Luke Cage, quite supportive of Misty and Misty pursuing what she needed to pursue. Yeah, and I think it does hark back to when she was in the hands. You know, mm-hmm. she did think that she was helping kids get out of, um, you know, maybe dire home life situations by giving them that these skills as uh, a, a kung fu master and mm-hmm. teaching them karate and so on. So I think it's it's really interesting uh, that in a sense it's it's a little consistent, but now at least she knows that it's honestly being done uh, with this community center and she's not building an army to uh, send out to kill everyone so yes. you know th- there is a slight difference uh, for sure like but i mean i think you know a bit of intrigue comes in from from this angle as well where you know there is sort of an anonymous donation has been dropped off at this um community center which she spots and the reason why it sort of is such a shock to her is that it's this old childhood heirloom, this box that contains a brush and a comb, and on the top is her um, family seal or coat of arms. They show it on the um, hilt of the katana that's as right. well, yep. and that's why, you know, again, it's it's referenced on the hilt of the katana. But, of course, you have the katana blade coming through that. So I'd never really noticed it fully before, uh, and seeing it there on top of the box, it is some kind of bird. Um, and is it a crane? I don't know. Um, because it's all very much around this particular uh, family box and heirloom that she had as a child. It's about her mother being uh, someone that was the only member of the family that supported her or, and she had any real connection to. So I don't know. I'm not that I'm saying that her mother is mother crane but it could be one of the reasons why the hand pursued um colleen to bring her into their ranks back in Mm -hmm. the day but i'd love to know if we get more uh history of this this seal uh this coat of arms because i think that would really open up uh colleen and her backstory in a really good way and so after she's got this box then she heads off to do a bit of investigating to see you know who had dropped it off and you know she she tracks um it down to this restaurant um owned by frank Choi because it's his cousin that last had this box a mr yip Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know he's he's the um not really giving any answers and so again danny back at the dojo suggests that they go on date night because you never know what opportunity may arise for to ask a few questions uh, to find out more about where this box came from and i really like that and how it led into then you know this really great fight scene as these kids come back to harass frank Choi um with the protection money that he owes them well the protection money that he owes the tigers and they're saying that they're going to take over from the tigers in that community it's quite interesting that we talked about in the synopsis or you talked about in the synopsis that the golden tigers and the hatchet men that we've seen throughout uh, luke cage and iron fist season one that they're fighting out, fighting each other to fill the void left behind by the hand but actually these kids are also trying to push in to get some of this territory is what we hear yeah. we hear them say that you know well the tigers were collected so somebody might as well so we're gonna hit him up for this money but chris this is the scene we wanted to talk about the colleen fight where she goes into the back of the restaurant and starts trying to talk the kids down and I, the reason why I wanted to mention, I'm sure you're probably the same, is because this really felt like a Jackie Chan-style fighting scene. Colleen's been so used to always have, having the sword and having the katana to fight with. And what we see here is that she's using every implement and every tool in the vicinity of her in the kitchen to fight back against the kids. She's using a pot to block a knife coming at her, that kind of stuff, which really feels like the kind of style that Jackie Chan would have used and may have come from the director in this case. Exactly. That's exactly where my head was uh, to the point where we see the, the one of the armed gentlemen with this like um, meat pulverizer on chain, mm-hmm. two meat pulverizers. Yeah. I was like, first of all, that's an amazing weapon. It was just, it, was, it looked fantastic to watch. 
but she uses it against him as well mm-hmm. and also uses it against his comrades because she's grabbing it and then flailing it at the other guy behind her yeah. and then uses it to attack him as well. And you're right. It's a pure Jackie Chan style. And it was really, that's what actually, I, less Shanghai Nights, yes. more yeah. some of his earlier stuff like Rumble in the Bronx style to it where she was jumping over the counter moving around using the opponents and that's the sense i got mm-hmm. yeah it's, it, it it feels i'm okay with the daughter of the dragon not having her fine for the remit for a foreseeable future of this thing like her, her katana has been her main weapon it's been her fangs for well all of season one essentially right. now we start getting to see her use her environment we have seen that she is a very proficient fighter when we saw her in the cage matches Absolutely. in season one this just brings it to a more well actually when she's in the environment she doesn't have any weapon outside of face. she's going to use what's around her exactly um and i'm happy to see she's a good improvisational fighter definitely and when you contrast that style versus danny rand here who we're seeing really fight straightforward and powerful He's got control of himself. He's settled. He's got the power of the Iron Fist at his will if he needs to. And when he's fighting against the Golden Tigers, it's much more of a, a proper kung fu fight between the four characters that are there until he starts to lose control towards the end of the fight and lights up that Iron Fist when he says, I told you to leave it alone, didn't I? Kind of thing. And yeah. without, without Colleen there to calm him down, would he have used the Iron Fist against another guy? Absolutely. It was it was a nice contrast between the two. I mean, just coming back to it, like I loved um, Colleen's fighting here. Uh, I loved the fact that the katana was replaced by a soup ladle. Um, you know, Colleen wielding the colander was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then ultimately she does get a meat cleaver in her hand. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, one one of those kids that went up against her, he had better definitely watch out. Um, that was really nice. And then I just loved like the calmness that Danny had in dealing with these three golden tigers. Um, and you know, just very clean, crisp, very almost traditional, I suppose you might call it. Um, in in terms of that fighting style, Uh, and I I like the little gag as well of you know there's nothing to see here there's nothing to see as you're hearing the the pots and pans crashing around in in the restaurant it 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 was a really nice kind of straight man you know whilst uh, his partner's going do lally in in the restaurant absolutely fighting for her life because I mean she was up against like four or five kids with yeah yeah, meat cleaver on a chain and um other items that they had weaponized <laughs> absolutely and I, I love that as the straight man danny's going well my girlfriend had a bad meal and she's gone in there to complain <laughs> she has a bit of a temper <laughs> don't go in there got a got a good little moment uh, nice fights in here overall uh, at our point number two we ready to go on to point three guys oh yes oh yes because none other than the steel serpent is back davos is here he's in new york and he's well he has a plan and one of them is a shipment mm-hmm. which of what we have yet to find out. Yes. And I really want to talk to you guys about this because straight away we see Colleen is getting mysterious packages. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Steel Serpent himself hatching a plan with none other than our second favorite Meacham. Our first favorite Meacham? I'm not quite sure. A third favorite because there's always Harold's head. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's hard to rank the Meachams, but Joy Meacham is back and I can't wait to see more of her. But because we have an Iron Fist officiado in our trio, John, what did you think about having Davos back? Oh, it was really, really good. I mean, I'm absolutely cannot wait to see how his story unfolds um, in terms of him potentially becoming the Steel Serpent. Because, yeah, this shipment seems to be at the the heart of, of all this and and you see joy in him plotting away really here but at the same time it it's a really nice twist i think that they have and i know we'll come back to it later uh, on another point for davis who needs answers but ultimately with joy here uh, you know she brings ward and danny to her new apartment and I just want to say, I think my favorite Meacham is Ward Meacham. Uh, I like that wavy hair and his <laughs> um, just 
how he operates, how he goes yeah. about things. Um, but I've started to call that hair the most expressive hair in TV <laughs> because what we saw throughout season one with Ward Meacham is that when he gets angry or when things aren't going well for him, that perfectly manicured hair that he's gotten <laughs> together from his millions of dollars starts to lose shape. And we do see that a little bit in this episode too. <laughs> uh, definitely. I love that. Uh, moment where Joy, after meeting, um, you know, her brother and, um, stepbrother ultimately, or, you know, childhood friend in Danny, that, um, she's kind of doing that Marge Simpson, uh, thing at, uh, on The Simpsons with the Scorpio, uh, where she's just sat there drinking a bottle of wine on her own, sort of, you know, sort of making sounds by rubbing her finger around the glass rim. It kind of really speaks to me in that way. And that she has nothing else to do with her life. other than Exactly. Wine. The, you know, everything's clean for her. She's got too much money and mm-hmm. she is just drinking, uh, that, you know, Probably Eleven's bottle of wine or something like that. And uh, I just like how Davos, you know, he just seems so threatening with her, even though they're partners. And you saw this at the docks with Mr. Yang. I really like how Sasha Duan brings that kind of tenseness and uptightness to this character, who is an absolute fanatic, you know, slash lunatic. Um, he's so zealous in, in in what he does and um, you know any questions joy the who I, I think she's a very good liar because you know at the end of the day he goes oh you know are you doubting and she goes no i'm drinking and, yeah. and i think maybe there is a little bit of doubt with joy because i i do like that moment where she goes yeah i was slightly thrown by it because he was kind to me danny rand was kind to me yeah um Ward wasn't, but nonetheless, Danny was. And so, you know, she is thinking on it. She she certainly wants her revenge, absolutely, whatever their plan is that they're hatching. But I, I really enjoyed uh, Davos uh, in this episode uh, because he is just so uptight. It's just like you want him to grow her so that he can let it down, yeah. almost. <laughs> absolutely. And I have to say, there's a nice moment with Joy Meacham where she does explain why she's pissed off because I don't think something some people would have caught that from season one why is she so angry at Danny and why is she so angry at her brother Ward we joked about it at the end of season one is the reason that she's turned to Davos because well her painting didn't go up in the foyer of Rand Enterprises it's not that of course it's that her father came back from back to life and her best friend and brother knew about it and never told her she was her father's favorite child and she was never told that he was around so she's carrying a deep-seated anger here the fact that he's dead now at the hands of the hands which were brought to the city by danny and uh, and ward kind of pushed her that way she feels if she was involved maybe that wouldn't have happened so it's really important that she underlined the reason why she's so angry at these two yeah i agree with you i really want to see what they do with the character throughout this season mm-hmm. we saw her grow from the, the corporate CEO, co-CEO, to, at, by the end of it, this quite broken woman. Yeah. Um, from the, the family dis- distress that was caused um, to her. So now we can see that a, a fire for revenge has been basically stoked, we can assume, by uh, none other than um, Davos and some other individuals who I'm assuming we will meet throughout the rest of the season. Well, Madame Gao possibly, because she was sitting across the table from them when they first met, wasn't she, back in the, Correct. Back in the end of Iron Fist? And, and one thing I'm really happy and really proud that they did do was to follow up straight off the bat with this. This could have been Davos arrives in the city, he has another partner, and then in episode six, Joy comes in. I'm glad they just continued on the story immediately from where they left it off they're working together there's no point in hiding either or either one of them they're both working together it's a nice choice to do it that way yeah and i i think what we'll get is we'll get gao in some form the hand in some form mm-hmm. will be in later maybe. on um oh, it's just be so cool maybe but yeah. maybe not the hand I, i'm hoping the hand are gone for good and we have a battle with other foes throughout the season yeah but it'd be like it's very much like Hydra. I think the hand will <laughs> maybe, be maybe. there for every time you strike off a finger, another one grows. <laughs> but no, I'm really interested to see where they go with this. Mm-hmm. I'm also very much interested in what they're doing with Ward. Yeah. What we've seen yeah. is Ward is in a AA. Um, um, he is not willing to share yet. He's still struggling with that. 
but uh, he is very much worried in that he has his sponsor. Yep. Who comes to talk to him, and then he meets her in a broom closet. <laughs> uh-huh. Absolutely, he's not willing to share his feelings, but he's willing to share everything else, though. He certainly is. Um, but that was the great thing about Ward. I love the fact that you know it is all about him. Yeah, he is. I love his total self-centered approach to things because actually, when he does seemingly care for other people, which I think he does, it makes it so more profound for this character. But I, I love that. I mean, even from Joy, uh, we get that it's always about you, isn't it? Because he just feels that she's taking the limelight or something. There's a real brother-sister thing there, yeah. a real competitive edge. He needs to be the one that is kind of fetid with, you know, mother and father's love. He He's the one that needs to sort of barge in and make himself the front and center. And yeah, I mean, even with the, the Alcoholics Anonymous uh, meeting and stuff, I it's just so so good how you know i got an intern to bring these cronuts over (laughs) it was just so good Uh and just to mention we think it's narcotics anonymous because he was a drug abuser in season one not particularly an alcoholic but it could absolutely be one of a range of meetings this guy could be sent to uh, after the issues that he went through in uh, in season one uh, very possible as well uh, and just to mention just to underline the story point that's happening here why is joy calling uh, ward and danny to her house she's getting back the money that she has in the business she's taken that back along with some patents uh, along with some possibly expired patents possibly not expired ones there's definitely something in there we're definitely going to be seeing that come back in a later episode what is it that's hidden in amongst all of that paperwork that joy really wants exactly that was the bit straight away my yeah. spidey sense went tingling going mm-hmm. oh she just wants <laughs> chip buy out here there also expired patterns it's going to be fine mm-hmm. and i was like oh well hold on you're involved with davos yeah you're, you're into evil yeah you, there's something in there that you need yeah like some drug something it's going to get interesting yeah my fist um, tingled at that point as well <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering about this as to whether she may have gotten some advice from Jerry Hogarth after her recent moment where she stepped away from her uh, law firm of, uh, of of Chow Benowitz and Hogarth. Did she get some advice from, from her as to how to approach them? Is that contract that she's gotten drawn up, was that done by Jerry Hogarth maybe? Well, she says it was done by an outside firm, so it, it could well be. So mm-hmm. um, that would be really interesting to see that Hogarth has now gone and put her services to Joy rather than toward uh, and Rand Enterprises. Mm-hmm. So, Well, we know that she did take the Rand contract with her, didn't she? But she might have done this on the side. Uh, it's not the same firm as was originally, but yes. Anyway, just a thought. Yes, and speaking of cameos, I'm quite interested to see if we will see Jerry throughout the season. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, we have another new female character introduced in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, someone with potentially a long lineage of comic book history. Absolutely. Uh, but bringing us on to bullet point number four, Danny bumps into a tourist. Yes. Um, yes. Danny is, well, Danny is working for a moving company. He is doing his boots on the ground, earning that every dollar um, as Ward continues to slag him off for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's bringing me closer to the community. I multi-billion dollar billionaire and i'm i was like i didn't okay now i understand um it was quite interesting but what we do see is as danny is uh coming out from a building with a load of boxes we see his friend is being chatted up by a lovely tourist called mary Mm -hmm. and then danny turns on the charm Yes, he, he does. does. He really poor, does. Poor and Albert. It does seem like Albert's a single guy and this woman's coming on to him. And in swoops, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Danny Rand, who is <laughs> in a relationship with Colleen and knows he is and is completely open about the fact that he is, but still swoops in and charms he, the pants off. Him. Yeah, he is the worst chicken wing man ever. <laughs> yes, but what can we say? All of us Joneses, i.e. Finn Jones... But there's something about our chiseled looks, our our hair. It's just you can't you can't say no to a Jones. I, I am. You're absolutely right, Chris. It's like as if I'm looking at Iron Fist right now as we talk on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It's uncanny. It's just because you're looking at a you're looking at a picture of Finn Jones and not me. To it's be uncanny. Truth told. Yeah. But gentlemen, 
Um, Mary. So she's a new character. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been introduced. We have not seen this actress. We have not seen, in theory, we have not seen this character in the, the Netflix universe so far. We've not. No. Um, but we see this Mary go home. And we start seeing these post-it notes written about the place. I loved it. It's an interesting take. I was like, okay, I already know, think I know who the character is, what the character is, and things like that. And we start getting these, uh, should I just reveal? Just say reveal? Yeah. We just all reveal. know who the character yeah. is. Okay. Everybody does. It's been in, it was in the press material. It's Mary. It is Mary. It's Typhoid Mary. None it's... other than herself, Typhoid Mary. They have called it out. So there was a two characters, those brother and sister, introduced in season one of Jessica Jones. And for all our fellow defenders who've been with us since those recordings, we were pretty sure that the sister would become none other than Typhoid Mary, who a well-known antagonist of Daredevil and many others. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were wrong. This is our Typhoid Mary press materials and everything else have said so. So... What I'm very interested to see is how they bring Typhoid Mary to screen. She is known to be slightly unhinged. And I think we what we, yeah. we see this straight away where she starts having a panic yeah. attack, turning on all the taps. Yeah, which I didn't understand what she was doing there. I was thinking, what an earth is she doing i didn't realize it was to calm herself down Mm -hmm. uh until then i was like oh she's calming herself down yeah so the character will have dissociative personality disorder is what we can assume Mm -hmm. and it's going to be interesting to see how they bring this to screen with so many different takes on it and also for our fellow moonlight listeners it's quite a similar disorder than uh, old Mooney has as well. Yes, yeah. indeed. They were thinking of other characters, weren't they? Not in terms of bringing them into Marvel Netflix, but in terms of what they could draw on to um, help with creating Typhoid Mary with this dissociative personality disorder. I mean, mm-hmm. I have to say, I loved the post-it note from or the post-it notes from hell. I, I thought that was really freaky because I must say, I don't know too much about Typhoid Murray. Initially, I was like thinking, oh, is this kind of like an abusive partner or husband or something like that? Where yeah. it's saying, um, do not leave the house. And she's kind of gone against that will and, and they were out. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you've got stop moving things around as another one. And of course, it's notes from one of herselves to the other self. Uh, and that was absolutely fascinating. And as I say, then it was like connecting why she was turning on all the taps. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was a reason uh, for that, which was to kind of calm her down or focus her in some way, you know, whatever it was. Uh, and then you kind of get that exasperation of the hy- hysterical laughing as I think she's still the same personality because she's managed to control it Uh, Mm -hmm. i thought that was just a fabulous scene uh, right at the end and i really like the fact that they've introduced this character bang in episode one and actually shown her grappling with the things that are likely to play out later were you know will she be friend or foe to whoever is it danny rand or is she a spanner in the works for davos and for for joy meacham so yeah this this was a really great introduction for a character that will have some significant role within within this season so i thought it was very cool yeah i'm really hopeful that we're going to see typhoid mary or the other mary personalities we're going to see those very soon throughout the season because I really like Alice Eve. I really like her on screen in this uh, in this show. Um, the last time I saw her was back in Star Trek, the uh, the reboot of Star Trek. I think Into Darkness. It was with, uh, with, with John Harrison with Benedict, moi. with Benedict Cumberbatch playing John Harrison. That's right. Yes, yeah. he, he uh, did <laughs> until he played Cam. Uh, but that's the last time I saw her, and I thought in that movie she was really underserved. She had a nice little role. She had some nice moments in there, but it was just a poorly written part for her. And already, even in this one scene. We can see there's some depth there. Bringing her in in the first episode usually means that we're going to see her a lot throughout the season. And I'm really looking forward to seeing more of her. And speaking of depth, I want to bring us on to our final point for this episode. Um, Davos needs answers straight off the bat. Episode one, we see the main protagonist, the main antagonist come together for a heated debate 
and it's really interesting. It's that it was that brotherly rivalry, brotherly hate, love, everything passing between Davos and Danny um, on the waterfront, even with a mini fight as well to show off that they are equally matched, if you want to call it that. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, this really shows that Davos has got many long-standing issues uh, with Danny Rand. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the fact that, you know, um, where were you when our city needed you? You know, you, you were here. Uh, all I saw was cowardice in a man uh, with a hand whore. You know, he's absolutely going for the jugular with uh, with Danny Rand, calling mm-hmm. Colleen a hand whore, um, calling him a coward, talking about our city, you know, when for Davos that's Conlon, and for Danny, yes, it's Conlon, but it's increasingly and probably has overtaken Conlon is New York City. Absolutely. Um, I have to say, I think um, I, I love the, the motivation of this, uh, that... You know, as this honorable fighter that Davos thinks that he is, that he was slightly jealous that Joy had, was able to look her opponent in the eye when she called that meeting. Mm-hmm. And so he had to do the same. Um, I love the uncomfortable nature um, that Davos brings to Colleen and Danny, you know, and Colleen sticking up for herself as well. Uh, on the street when when he bumps into them or, or meets them and um i loved his phrase to to joy where he goes maybe i needed to hear that pompous conciliatory tone what a fab line uh, really really good line uh to encapsulate why davos after giving danny this chance to to um, sort of make amends, to give back what he thinks is rightfully his, which is the Iron Fist, Mm -hmm. they are putting a plan in uh, to action. Their plotting will move towards, um, you know, trying to bring Danny to his knees to show loss that Joy has experienced, that Davos has felt. So uh, what form uh, and in what way that that loss is going to be? I mean, will they direct it at Colleen? Will they direct it at his fortune? You know, that contract. Uh, What is it? Or is it something more to do with the Iron Fist? You know, Mm. so this, um, this is big stuff. And again, another great moment to have that up front in episode one i mean that there's no hanging around here absolutely and and we do find the question that davos was going to ask danny is that if he could go back in time and change what happened would he would he allow davos to become the iron fist step back out of the way and lose the opportunity himself to fight shell out the dragon so um yeah interesting uh danny still says no because he still feels that he's going to have it there's some other great moments from davos again it's great to see him in the in the show i love that moment when he says why do people want to be in the city of new york i just stink i have the stench of the city on me i want to get out of here you know as as he's talking to the meachams and danny people that love the city you know it's great to see how distasteful he finds this whole business this everything that's going on even the conversation he has with the leader of the hatchet gang mr yang where he's where mr yang has changed the terms and upped the amount of money that he has to pay and you see davos just going this is so disrespectful as if i will snap that guy's neck in a second if i go anywhere near him again this guy is just disrespecting me completely and that's not how i do business you know 100 percent. and i really love what we actually see when davos brings back their um training from shifu which is with mastery comes knowledge with knowledge comes strength mm-hmm. that leads to the closing scenes of this episode where we see danny now has his what we can call a private dojo-ish, a maybe, pile of doors. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he's using it to train the fist uh, further. Mm-hmm. I really like this to show potentially our our iron fist is losing control. For someone who is supposed to be centered, we see him nearly use the iron fist on one of the golden tigers. And here we see him just flaring it and beating down on this door. Um, mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Absolutely. Especially that final moment of the episode as he pushes himself really hard, pushing through that door, punching through that door. And we see the red lights of the eyes of Shaolai, the undying behind his head. 
Really cool. That's a nice yeah, that, little touch to put it, in there. Yeah, definitely. Really, really nice uh, little touch. And I think as well, you know, it's interesting here that Danny, you know, has that smile as he's just repeatedly bashing the door. And it is that idea that he is just using his chi power for nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think there's potentially a price here uh, to pay. I think there is an element that, you know, there's a lot of storylines where the chi power has become drained from the Iron Fist. And whether that is something that is happening here because he's not using it in a centered way, he is using it simply to, yeah, knock a few doors uh, as the the, the Metro uh, rumbles past him to, to mask the sound of that. So I think this is really interesting because I'm just wondering, you know, Will there be consequences in terms of this? I suppose misuse might be a wrong word for it, but this overuse of his chi power uh, for the Iron Fist. I think he'd probably argue that he's training it up. That's what it kind of looks like. Yeah, it might be. Kind of why I called it the private dojo that he's that he's in. It does look like he's kind of training it up to use it whenever he can because he wasn't able to do that in season one. And in Defenders, he wasn't able to do it every time that he wanted to do it either. So starting out this season with him able to just light it up whenever he wants to and beat down doors if that's what he wants to do with it rather than light it up as the key to open a gateway to another world you know which was all the way throughout defenders this time it's you know if he wants to smack open a window he can use the iron fist if he wants to you know Um, yeah i mean he's definitely much more in control uh of his chi power so it, it could just be be that but i just wondered whether there would be some kind of price to pay for just this kind of use whatever about trying to get control of his chi power he seems to be doing it in a way that's non-meditative you know Mm -hmm. bringing that calm and it's just simply because of the 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 grin that he has on the end and maybe that's because he knows much more how to control it and the power that he wields and the control he has on it. So it could just be that. It could absolutely be nothing for sure. Um, But I just wondered. So I'm not going to lie to you, gentlemen. I did not take it as Shaolau the Dragon. I took it as two red lights because he's in a subway. I took it as the placement was supposed to signify, yeah, maybe like it, it looked like there was two red things behind him. Yeah. I like the idea that the, the, he might be channeling more and we may see some form of like Shaolau in this season. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I actually didn't even think of Shaolau. I just thought of it yeah. as him overusing the, 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 the chi and then potentially like a back surge and two lights just go off or. It's basically just two lights in general, just to frame the the kind of red behind them. Um, yeah, I think I think this is what they're doing in the show because again, you know, they don't have the budget of a huge TV show for these Netflix shows. This isn't going to be something where I don't think we're going to see the dragon in the show, but using it just to have the rumbling overhead of the subway as Danny's thinking back to his time fighting the dragon, the red lights of the subway. You're right, Chris. That's what they are, but it's the connection that's within Danny where the rumbling of the subway is turning into the sound of the roaring dragon and the lights behind his head are turning into the eyes of Shailau. What I just want one wonderful fan artist to do is just take a screenshot of that moment with the red eyes and just draw in Shailau over the top of them. I'd love to see an artist just take that and do a rendering of Shailau behind him. I'm sure we're going to see it in some fan art in the future. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. I mean, but just so that I'm not crazy here, the rumbling of the train did kind of... yes turn into a bit of a roar of a dragon. Absolutely, yeah, yes, yes. Yes. I, I, I kind of suppose I didn't fully hear it. I didn't fully see it. But now that you're kind of, again, that's all why I love our podcast. Because now that you're saying, you see, I'm like, oh, yeah, that does make more sense than just really bad train. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's that's a great way to finish off our points for this episode. Good one, Chris. Uh, any notes for this episode? I've got a couple of quick ones. Anybody, anybody else got any notes for this episode? Yeah, the only note I have really is, again, just the, the family crest on, on the box that Colleen finds in the community center, also known as a Kamon uh, or Kamon. And... Um, yeah, again, just what bird is that on that crest? Um, is it a crane? Um, is there some connection there? Uh, is that maybe one of our first theories that may 
um, explode into the season or evaporate in an instant uh, because it's completely wrong. But, you know, <laughs> we'll I'm just saying. We'll I did think Heron, but uh, yeah, I like Crane too. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like that too. I like that too. But we find that it's a family crest, right? This, that's what the word yeah, come yeah. on means is a family crest. So hopefully we're going to find out a bit more about the wing family past and see where they came from. Give Colleen a bigger part and a bigger role to play this season as well uh, after the destruction of the hand last season. Um, just a couple of quick notes from me, just a mention of Ward's twisting of the serenity prayer. The absolute fundamental principle of the serenity prayer is that you must accept the things you cannot change because you can't change the past. And only by doing that can you move on from going to the lowest of lows, going to the bottom of being a drug addict or, a, or an alcoholic. And what we hear from Ward is all he wants is to change the things he can't. So again, he's going into this whole process, a couple of months into it at this stage, where he still believes that he can change the things that he can't. And that's all he wants out of the whole uh, the whole thing. I like that underlying of Ward's central character. And what he's about is, I will not accept that I can't change things to the way that I want them to be changed. So uh, just, just a nice way to bring Ward in for me. And one other reference, uh, probably a movie reference to this one for the MCU, a little reference to uh, Danny Rand from Colleen. Uh, Chris, you skirted around it earlier on, which I was really surprised about. Um, isn't Danny Rand kind of emulating Steve Rogers uh, at the beginning of this episode where he's talking about the fact that he missed pop culture from when he was 12 and now he's catching up on it. So he has his little notebook of pop culture items that he has to catch up on and he's been forcing Colleen to watch some of them by the sounds of things as well. So I think that's a little reference to the fact that they have a similar background that he's been out of the culture and now he's trying to reintegrate himself back into the culture by looking up all the stuff that he's missed over the last 20 years being away in Cunningham. I did skirt it for a multitude of reasons. One being that you are a shield man on Captain America. So I will always give you the Captain America and shield notes. <laughs> the second one, I would love to see if they've actually recorded multiple dialogue like they did in Captain America Winter Soldier, where the actual notebook that we get mm -hmm. flashed on screen had different um, kind of people in different locations and names and stuff, depending on what country, what region you were in when you watch Captain America Winter Soldier. So can you imagine <laughs> it? We got SpongeBob SquarePants. Someone else may get Transformers or uh, Power Rangers or uh, who knows? It would mm -hmm. be That'd fantastic. That would be quite cool. It would be cool, but the joke works so well. It does. What's there to know? He's a sponge. And he's square. Called Bob. And he's square. <laughs> <laughs> really good. Really good. That's it for notes. That's it for the episode and our discussions on the episode. One last thing to talk about, guys. Chris, do you defend this episode? Iron Fist, season two, episode one, Fury of the Iron Fist. Yes, I do. I take my hat off to M. Raven Metzner and David Dobson. These two gentlemen have reignited the Iron Fist, not just for me. Um, I think they really have done a lot for everyone. Um, I think when people when this drops and people are going to start watching it and as they listen to our podcast and start digesting a lot of it, I think people are going to find a new, not a new take on Danny and not a new take on what we saw in season one. Maybe just slightly more refined, a, a more mature Danny, a more mature storyline. And I think we're, people are going to really enjoy it. This opening episode gave us everything, it gave us the intrigue, the plot, the questions, very little answers, new characters, old characters. It explained where the old characters have gone from to, to where they are now and how they got there with some noticeable gaps, which we assume will be filled out in season two. Um, this was for me was another very strong opening from what we see in the Marvel Netflix universe, which is strong opening, set the groundwork. This felt for me something that I'm going to enjoy going through each episode finding work and as i said speaking to you guys and speaking to our fellow defenders and finding these little tidbits like shadow's eyes the two red lights which didn't hit that for me but from speaking with you guys I went oh god yeah that was a really nice touch from from the director just such a mm -hmm. nice little piece that i would never have caught on um, so, yeah, there's multiple watchings here, hopefully. But, yeah, I completely defend this episode. Excellent, excellent. John, do you defend this episode of Iron Fist Season 2, Episode 1? I do defend this episode of Season 2 of Iron Fist. 
I give this four closet quickies out of five. Um, Weird. Oh, yeah, indeed. I really just think they went straight for it. They were like a greyhound uh, at the racetrack. They went really, really for it and i thought not awarded a sponsor right? no <laughs> well maybe maybe uh there is some parallels there who knows but it was just great that they went straight for it you know they brought all the characters back from the first season joy ward obviously danny colleen i love them bringing colleen and danny together in the dojo on the in Chinatown, um, I love the fact that we saw our glimpse of Mary, you know, typhoid Mary here. Um, and I thought that was a fantastic scene with the post-it notes uh, in her apartment. I absolutely loved that. Um, so, so well done. Um, and I really want to see, you know, which uh, way will she be going here? Is it a nemesis of Danny Rand? Because she has been. Uh, or is it maybe an ally of Danny Rand uh, in the Marvel Netflix uh, world? I loved seeing Ward coming back, selfish as ever, but just still um, absolutely sympathetic uh, as a character for me. Um, and seeing Davos uh, and Joy, uh, both of them looking a little colder, a little more fanatical uh, than the last time we saw them. Uh, maybe not Davos so much, uh, but a really <laughs> solid, uh, solid opening to season two. Yeah. And as Chris said, it's asking a lot of questions very quickly. Um, and I cannot wait to see what happens and unfolds in episode two. So, Derek... Do you defend this episode of Iron Fist? Yeah, I absolutely defend this episode. This was all about setting a new stage for these characters, setting everybody up as to where they're going to be for the rest of the season. And our new showrunner here has done a great job of setting up these characters for where they're going to be for the rest of the season. That's all I needed on this episode. I, I mentioned in season one, my only episode that I had a real problem with was the pilot because it didn't actually set up the story of where we're going to be. It didn't set up an exciting story of where we're going to be. This sets up some excitement and sets up some great moments for us to watch. And I am gagging to see the next episode of Iron Fist. So we will be going off and doing that. Obviously, fellow defenders, we are recording these episodes, as we mentioned before the release of the show. But if you want to send us any feedback for any of the future episodes, just go on over to our Facebook group, at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. We have spoiler posts up for the first six episodes of the show as you're listening to this. Uh, so you can pop in there and leave your thoughts on each of the episodes as you go. Yes, you can also email us through feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com or if you want to send us a voicemail, you can go through our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com click on the right-hand side tab and leave up to 90 seconds of your thoughts and feedback on any episode of Iron Fist Season 2. Yes, but much like Danny is trying to get back to the roots and trying to connect with the community, we want to connect with you. So we ask you to go on over to Apple Podcasts, share the love of the podcast, and also write us a review while you're there. Much like we received a few new reviews from on Apple Podcasts since we finished Luke Cage Season 2 coverage, and I just wanted to share them very quickly with you guys so you get a sense of what you could be writing about, what you could be leaving a review for. I'm not going to pay you, but hey, you know, I might even give you a shout-out, like right now. First on, we had John Hayes, who titled his five-star, that's five-star people, review, going, I defend your podcast and says, simply the best Marvel Netflix podcast out there. Thank you very much, John. Glad to have you on board. And thank you for that five-star review. Much like you, you are a five-star fellow defender. That's so nice of you, John. Thank you so much. Yes, and Chris will sell you an Audi in, in a moment. Yes, <laughs> yes, I am going all car salesman on this. Yes, I'm going to spin you a yarn, much like to rice who gave this amazing five-star review. You can tell they love the source material, they said. I enjoyed listening along with these guys for all their Marvel Netflix shows and their Gotham podcast too. They're very insightful and you can tell they're true fans. It's nice to hear people who are excited about these shows as I am. I get tired of people with the negative things to say. Yes, Therese, we will never have a negative thing to say. Well, we'll balance them out always positively. 
Because you know what? We love these shows as much as you do. Absolutely. But of course, we will always call out things if we're not happy with them. I think we've we've have proven that over the uh, 175 episodes of the podcast so far. But we're always going to be positive about these shows. They're making our childhood dreams come to life here. If they mess them up, we'll definitely call them out on it. But thanks so much for that, Therese. I do totally agree with you. I'm sick of hearing uh, shows just being negative for negative sake. So I'm glad we can be a place, a place of positivity for our fellow defenders. And thanks so much for joining us, Therese. Yeah, thank you so much for the reviews, John Hayes and Therese. It's really good to get your thoughts and feelings on the podcast. It really helps us um, develop uh, and build the podcast for the audience. Mm-hmm. And it's so good to have the Defenders audience, the fellow Defenders uh, back on board for season two of Iron Fist. So again, thank you so much for those lovely reviews. Thanks so much for those five-star reviews. Always good to have some five-star reviews for the podcast. If you have any feedback for us on the episodes or anything we talk about, email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Yeah, as always, fellow Defenders, it is a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, and We'll be back again with you for Date Night, um, where we will be speaking about Iron Fist Season 2, Episode 2. It'll be out later today, Friday the 7th of September. Mm -hmm. Or forevermore to be known as Iron Fist Day. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again next time. Yes, thank you so much. I will also put out there that Friday the 7th of September is also Spider-Man PS4 Day 2. Iron Fist versus Spider-Man. Netflix versus playstation where are you going to be spending your time well do you know what you can actually spend your time with us iron fist and spider-man because there's 24 hours in the day and you can play everything and watch everything too and even listen to us at the same time thank you so much fellow defenders and i'll see you for episode two yeah bye fellow defenders see you next time Sorry to all the doggies out there for crushing their ears with our outro and intro music. <laughs> but welcome back to uh, to Mississippi McDonald on the Iron Fist podcast. Bye. Bye.